This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, in some cases, after the wildfires are put under control, left behind are numerous damaged and or destroyed homes. And when that occurs, our next guest suggests that the initial focus should be on the homes of the people in lower income households. Carolyn Kuski is executive director of the Wharton Risk Management and Decision Processes Center. She recently co-authored an article for The Hill looking at the issue, and she joins us right now. Carolyn, great to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you for having me. You too. So take us into this thought process of of looking at the lower income households uh, first in comparison to all of the damage that may be done by some of these disasters. Well, there's now a sort of growing body of research that low-income households tend to be disproportionately impacted by disaster events, and that stems from a number of different reasons. So these households are often at greater risk initially, living in more vulnerable areas in less safe housing. They then tend to have less access to different types of emergency preparedness resources, to the transportation or assistance to evacuate. They might not have as much access to safe shelter or childcare or medical help that you need in the in the immediate response, kind of crisis response. And then after the disasters come through, there's also challenges with recovery for these households. Um, so most households don't have enough liquid savings to fund their own recovery. I think the statistic I saw was that 40, 44% of Americans don't have $400 in the bank to cover any emergency. So, you know, the thousands of dollars in damage, if your house burns down or it's flooded, they don't have enough funding for that. They're often locked out of access to credit. And then there's an assumption often that federal disaster aid will make these people whole, but it actually really doesn't. It's difficult to access, insufficient and often delayed. So we have a real challenge in helping these families post-disaster. Is there enough of an understanding, and it, it sounds like from how you laid it out that maybe the answer to my question is no, but is there enough of an understanding of these kind of th- this chain of events that can occur? I mean, you obviously have the, the the wildfire or the tornado or the hurricane, whatever it might be, but all of these, you know, uh, second line impacts that obviously impact people in significant ways. Yes, Absolutely. And, you know, damages from these types of events can really start cascading, right? There's all sorts of impacts that happen when you have this level of catastrophe that, you know, that we're seeing this year and that we've seen fold out in other years around the country as well. So when you look at the current state of policy then around these issues, what do you think needs to be done? Because I'm sure part of this story is what people and companies could be able to do to try and mitigate this. But a lot of this, I'm sure, is also on the policy side as well. Yeah, that's right. And actually, in conjunction with the Urban Institute, we recently brought together a number of experts in the disaster space and asked them to think about what policy solutions would help. And there was a number of different suggestions. A lot of it has to do with better focusing um, and targeting our aid at those who need help the most. Um, investing more pre-disaster and safer building and helping people relocate out of harm's way, making it easier to navigate the disaster aid process. It can be very complex and challenging for people to go through all these different programs, and it's not well explained. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we also need to be doing more 
to make people prepared ahead of time, right? And so one of the limitations with federal disaster aid is that it's not designed to replace insurance, right? right? So the hope is that people will have sufficient property insurance to cover any damages. And the federal aid sort of comes in around the edges and really is about making things safe and habitable again right after a disaster, right. not the money you need to completely bring things back um, to what they were. And of course, the folks who then need the insurance assistance the most because they don't have savings and they don't have access to credit are also the ones who can't afford the insurance, right? Um, yeah. So there's proposals to, um, for example, have insurance vouchers that are means tested so that lower income families can help purchase the disaster insurance they need to be prepared. Right. And I know I've talked with your cohorts uh, at the uh, Risk Management Center in the past about the fact that when you go through stretches in some parts of the country where you don't have where you may normally have disasters, thinking along like the Atlantic seaboard with hurricanes, but you go through a stretch of time where you don't have a significant event. There are times where people will let their insurance lax, and then obviously, in many cases, they get hit on the back end with it. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, people forget quickly, right? And so if there's a number of years that are kind of calm and quiet, it's easy to think, oh, maybe this is an expense I don't need and let it go, right? Um, and then that's the real challenge when the next disaster does come along. And, you know, we see these catastrophes a lot, but in any one place, it could be years and years between one to the next. And so it's hard to maintain a focus um, on the need to be prepared and have in place the financing, but also things like strong building codes and other mitigation measures that would help lower damages when these types of things happen. And we're seeing them happen more and more, right, as this year is, yeah. is uh, an example of. So then in terms of federal disaster relief, what can be improved to make the process better? And I know in certain instances we've heard uh, that the system itself is kind of convoluted in many cases. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things that are maybe not well understood about federal disaster aid. So the first is that lots of smaller localized events don't get any federal assistance at all. So it only kicks in for these bigger events when the president issues a disaster declaration. And then the kind of quote-unquote free money that people think they get for recovery from FEMA is actually capped. And most people only get on average of a few thousand dollars. So they don't really get enough to fully rebuild their home, right? It's not enough for that. And then that money comes in sort of in the immediate aftermath of a disaster. For very big events like Hurricane Harvey, and Sandy, those types of events, um, Congress will often appropriate funds to other agencies and other types of programs, like um, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, for example, has a large um, grant program that goes to state and local governments, and they can get enormous amounts of money. We're talking billions of dollars. But that money is actually all for long-term recovery. And a lot of it goes into important investments in risk reduction and infrastructure repair, but it's usually not um, directed at households, at the simple task of rebuilding. And even if households get some of that money, often for things like risk reduction, it is literally months or years between when the disaster hits and when those dollars arrive. For example, after Harvey, it took Congress six months to even appropriate those dollars, let alone get the program stood up and the dollars you know, flowing down to the state and local governments. So we really have this challenge of the sort of weeks and months after a disaster when families really don't have sufficient resources and are less struggling. Are the funding levels themselves appropriate? And, and is this something that Congress needs to really look at in the future? Yeah, well, this is a question, right, because we're seeing just escalating disaster events. And so the amount that has been spent by the federal government on disaster 
you know, repair, response, rebuilding has been growing dramatically. And there's concern, you know, that we're going to reach some point where there's really not going to be sufficient resources for everything, you know, all the recovery that needs to be done. And when we're seeing years like this year where, you know, we're fighting a pandemic and then these wildfires and then hurricanes on top of it, it really starts to stretch thin our emergency response resources and the funding available. Um, So a lot of folks are thinking, you know, we need to be doing a lot more pre-disaster to really strengthen our building, move out of harm's way, invest in climate resilience type activities so that we don't suffer so much damage when the fire starts or the hurricane makes landfall. Right, because the expectation is, that at least in the short term and, and maybe even longer term, that we're not going to see a slowdown in these types of events, uh, and we may very well see an increase in them as well. Yes, absolutely. I think that's the case. Certainly um, with flooding, like we're seeing trends and precipitation coming more and more as these intense downpours that overwhelm local infrastructure. So we're seeing lots more sort of rainfall-related flood events. You know, we're hearing from climate scientists that storm patterns are changing. And certainly the last few years of wildfires in the rest have really opened up this concern that we're in a whole new normal of wildfire as well. Carolyn, as always, great to talk to you. Thank you for your insight. Great to talk to you. Thanks. Carolyn Kuski, Executive Director of the Wharton Risk Management and Decision Processes Center. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.